0: I meet a lot of people that have so much talent that they haven't always had to persevere. They've gotten some things easily. But the, the problem with that is, is welcome to the Grow Time Business Devo, where we explore biblical principles for living a high performance and a God honoring life. My name is Kenneth Ott. Today, we're in 2 Kings 13. And um, the title of this one is Success Requires Wholeheartedness. I'm gonna read about this passage and and there's some things that jumped out to me. It's about a king, a king of Israel. And there were not a lot of good things to say about him, Um, but there's one little story in here that, I think illustrates this idea that success requires wholeheartedness, and if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a leader, if you've got high ambition, then then you know that. I think it's a, an important reminder. So let's get into it. I'm going to start in verse 11. It's going to be 13, 11 through 19, and. So, uh, actually, I'll start at 10 just to give you some context. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoash all that he did and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoash rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on his throne and Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Elisha had become sick with the illness that he would die. Then Jehoash king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the King of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times." There's a few things going on here and that was kind of a long passage, all right? By the way, all these names I often get wrong because I'm not a theologian, I'm not a pastor, I'm an entrepreneur who happens to, uh, to be a Christian and I believe the Bible has a lot of wisdom for people that have a lot of ambition. Pardon me for some of that. But uh, here's what's interesting about this king. I'm gonna start at, the, at verse 12 and I'm gonna pull out a few things that jumped out to me that I think are important. I think it's really interesting that um, whoever wrote this made it a point to say a couple things about Jehoash and then said, now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, all that he did in his might with which he fought against, you know, this person and that person, are, are, aren't they written somewhere else? Like, why do I have to talk about them? You know, what's interesting to me is that um, Jehoash was clearly sinful. He didn't do what, he didn't lead the way God had wanted him to lead, right? And um, it says that he didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who was the king before him. And he just and he walked in them. So the first thing I want to call out is this idea that it takes, it takes conviction to decide a direction that you're supposed to go. And sometimes that direction is different, right? You have to fix things, maybe about your past, maybe about your family, um, especially when you're a family leader, right? there are things that maybe in your the past of your family that need to change, right um I often hear people talking about you know we have this uh, epidemic of mental illnesses and things. I actually believe a lot of these things are what many would consider generational curses, right, mm-hmm. and there's these there are these um curses and they might be they might be behavioral right they may be learned they might be nurture versus nature they may not all be even biological but even if they are these generational curses sometimes happen right and this happens in businesses right i've been in in turnarounds in businesses where there have been bad leaders and leadership has been really toxic and people are really toxic and someone has to come in and turn that thing around right i have a family where I want to break certain generational curses, right? You probably have some people that you're leading. Maybe you have a family where you need to do the same thing in order to, it's really easy to walk in the same footsteps as the people before you um, and the same uh, problems and, and issues and things and not deal with those kind of things, right? It can be really easy to do that. But, The leaders that change the trajectory of things, like change the trajectory of generations and families and um, businesses and organizations. Um, I'm thinking of so many as I'm talking, but those leaders that change the trajectory have to choose, have to be convicted about something, have to realize the issues and have to choose the hard path to reorient everything, right? retrain everything right? In, in the positive direction. When you do that, and it's not all about this, but I'll say this. When you do that, you have a legacy, right? That you leave, right? People look up to you. People look back to you, right? We all know those people that change the trajectory of things for the better and they have a legacy. People, they're, they're notable and they're looked up to, people that just kind of walk in the same footsteps are forgotten. We know that about leaders, right? There there are great leaders and people that followed them that just kind of did what they did and um maybe had some success and we don't know what those pe- who those people are, right? There are really bad leaders and then leaders that came in and changed things for the better and we know who those who those people are. If you want to have a legacy, It's not all about that, but I think it's important to have a legacy. If you want to have a legacy, which which is this reputation that lives on and deposits positive things into future people, future generations and people that follow you, right? Inspires people that follow you for many, many years to come way after you're you're, you're gone. Um, If you want to have that, you need to have a deep conviction about what your mission is supposed to be, right? And, um, and be willing to do hard things that change trajectories of things. There's this, there's this uh, entrepreneur named Ed Milette, who I follow, and I like him a lot. And he wrote this book called The One, right? And it's this concept of, in everyone's family, there needs to be the one that changes the trajectory for the better, right? That happens in every family line. Maybe it hasn't happened for years yet. It happens over and over again, right? It's cyclical but someone has to come and change the trajectory of that right it's easy to walk in the same footsteps it's easy to keep generational curses alive right it's easy easy to perpetuate um, habits and behaviors and all these kinds of things it's easy to do that in families that's the easy route the hard route is to change those kinds of things and i'm speaking from experience in 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 my one of my pursuits as a family leader is to change those things. That's true in organizations as well, right? It's easy to just do the easy things, right? When you're leading people, it's hard to take a convicted path and maybe even change things. Maybe you're coming in after somebody, right? Or maybe, maybe your area is toxic and you want to change it. It's hard to do that. But that is what leads to legacy. That's what actually leads to something great. And I think what's clear in here is Jer- Jeho- Jehoash didn't do that, right? He just perpetuated the sins of the person in front of him. And, uh, and because of that, one of the things is he basically had no legacy, right? They're like, we're, the Bible is a giant book, right? They could have written more about him. They've written more about other Kings, but they didn't write anything about him. In fact, they took the, they, they took words, they, they took the time to write words, that actually said he's written about somewhere else. So why would I write about him here, right? That's, <laughs> that's uh, throwing a lot of shade in, in Bible terms, right? He didn't have that legacy because he didn't choose to, to walk a convicted life. And I think you, you can see from this, maybe he wasn't very deep. So going into verse 14, Elijah should become sick with the illness of which he would die. And Jehoash, the king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elijah said to him, take the bow and some arrows. And I'll get into that in a second. I had to look up what that phrase even meant. Apparently that phrase is, it has something to do with Elijah. It was uh, praising Elisha. And I think as you look at this narrative, One of the other takeaways here is you have to be a deep convicted leader. You have to understand your mission. And that requires seeking wisdom and pursuing that mission, mission, all that kind of thing. And and not only was Jehoash not deep enough to have a conviction and not necessarily strong enough or desired to actually change the trajectory, but then he didn't have a deep relationship with God. And he, And he relied on Elisha for a lot of things and not God. He depended on Elisha for for all these different things. And um, you know, what's interesting to me is as as a leader, there are times that I can look back where I, I put my hope in people or things or situations or money in the bank or something like that. And eventually, you realize that that thing might go away, like those people went away, right? And, and I was, I, I remember early on in my entrepreneurial career, I would have peers and associates that I would look up to. There were certain mentors that I would look up to, and, and they would inspire me. And they actually gave me a lot of hope and energy watching them. And I realized over time, I was putting a lot of hope in them, right? As, as the model. And I felt, I felt empowered when I was around them. And then unfortunately, several of them had issues where you know, their business and their lives fell apart. And I was left looking at like, what, where do I put my hope? Like the thing that I thought was completely f- stable is, is in regards to um, a, a great model for a business person is, is now gone. What do, I, what do I do? What do I look at? And looking back, that sounds insane to me, especially from uh, a biblical perspective, because we know that that is not where we should put our hope in. But like those things creep in and happen, right? I've, I've done that with people, like people that worked for me. You know, uh, you could do that with situations, you could do that with resources and money. And the truth is, the, the problem is with, with that is is not that those things are not powerful. Problem is if you put your hope falsely in those kind of things, they end up going away. And then you're actually left all alone without knowing, you're not rooted in anything that can't go away, right? That lives forever. And you're kind of left up a creek without a paddle. Like you lose your mojo because you never had it. Right. Because you put because there's actually somebody else's and you put it in somebody else. And I think that's one of the takeaways here is having a deep relationship with. A un, an unmovable power that is your partner in what you're doing, right? Is there's there's such a power, and I say say this like maybe maybe you're not a spiritual person, right? There's such a benefit in having a partnership with your maker, with someone that's greater than you, that that rules the entire universe, that wrote the laws of success into the universe, right? There's such a power in having that relationship because then things don't stop with you, right? Your hope doesn't have to be put in random people and resources and all these kind of things that end up that literally go away, right? These things all go away, right? It's in something immovable. And that's super powerful. When it comes to a a business perspective, right? When you have nothing to lose, you're dangerously powerful. And we know that in in business in sales, like the, those are those are kind of cornerstones, right? When you can, the, the you're the most powerful when you don't need something, okay. And so, if you've got your hope in something that's immovable, like God, you ultimately don't need anything else. If you can get yourself to that point, think about how dangerous, dangerously powerful you can be, and how how successful you can be if you had that ability to not have. Not need anything around you, not have your hope in anything around you. As great as Elisha was, right, he was a great prophet, he wasn't God. And Jeho- Jehoash had his hope in Elisha and didn't have a deep relationship with God. And, and I think that's, that's also what caused his like surface levelness, right? He's not super deep. All right, so then let's move on to verse 17, 18, 19. So, and he, and he said, Open the east window. So if you can see it also, just to kind of illustrate this point that he's putting all his hope in Elisha, like Elisha is telling him literally what to do. Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And there's a, there's a fine line between obedience and reliance on an individual, right? And Jehoash kind of goes, goes on the wrong side of that line. So he's giving him all these instructions. Open the east window. So he opened it and Elisha said, shoot. And so he shot and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance on Syria for you must strike the Syrians till you have destroyed them. And then he said to him, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the King of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Um, so this was kind of confusing to me at the very beginning when I read this, and i've I've had to read this many, many times. It seems like a random series of events. now you're you're shooting arrows, and then you're like hitting the ground with arrows, and he tells you to hit the ground with arrows, and he hits him three times, and then he gets angry at him because he didn't hit it more than three times. <laughs> I believe that there's probably a lot more context and things happening psychologically in Jehoash here than maybe what we're reading. And so this is my interpretation of this. But I think that when you realize that there's probably more going on, you see that first Elisha says, you have to strike the Syrians until you have destroyed them, right? Not three times until you've destroyed them. And then he tells him to take the arrows and you know, hit, strike the ground. And so Jehoash strikes the ground three times and stops. And then he gets angry at him. Um, and you could tell that obviously what he was saying, what he was connecting, how many times you struck how 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 much you persevered and uh and, and struck the arrows with to you know how how heavy the hand will be on you know when he when he has to attack these the Syrians. All that to say is when I read this, I think it's clear that Jehoash lacked a couple things. One is wholeheartedness, right? The ability to do things at an excellent level with his whole heart until they're done. And this is just, again, I, I think psychologically, there's probably a lot more happening, right? He's, and so this is my interpretation. Maybe Jehoash, and I think it's reasonable to, when you're reading the rest of this, to think that he maybe wasn't someone that had depth and didn't maybe do things wholeheartedly. Maybe he didn't have a lot of perseverance, right? Maybe that's why he didn't have the the boldness and the courage and the conviction to change the um to, to, to change the ways from the person before him, right? To set them back on the right path. And he just continued, right? I think all these qualities add up to this idea, potentially, that. He's not. He doesn't have a whole heart. He doesn't do things with his whole heart. He doesn't do things with perseverance. If you're a leader, and I and I I get the opportunity to coach lots of leaders and uh, people that are trying to do really really big things, and some do them and some don't. But what I see more often than not is the common denominator for people that succeed is this ability to have a deep conviction. They know exactly what they're doing, right? They know, you know, in the depth of their belly that this is what I'm doing, I'm supposed to do. Like that's number one. Number two, they persevere. They do it with their whole heart. Like their goal is to be the best at that thing and win at it. Um, and they persevere through all kinds of circumstances and they do it to the best of their ability. And then you have people who, um, and this is the, probably the greater majority, but you have people who say they want to do something, but it's really kind of surface level. Um, because when it comes down to it, they aren't, they don't really have a conviction, a depth of, of desire. Um, and they end up not really being willing to do it with their whole heart, right? They don't give their all to it. They don't want to be the best at it, they maybe want some short term win. They probably want the the positive results of the thing, right? And not the thing. Like, let's say you want to build a business. Like if you want to build a business for financial freedom, that is a really, really great reason. But just so you know that is not a good enough reason to build a business cuz building a business is so hard that finance the the reason for financial freedom won't actually allow you to persevere through all the difficulties because financial freedom is kind of far far removed from what you have to do in the short term. In the short term you have to give a lot of effort and work to something, right? And maybe have financial lack at the beginning that might happen right before you get the upside of exponential financial freedom or Freedom of time, be the same kind of thing, right? You might have more time working a job than you do running a business. Now you may enjoy it more and get fulfillment more. Like that is a strategic thing that is important. And if you do it right, you get that, right? But the truth is, is like you, you spend more time owning a business than if you worked in a business. And so a lot of times people uh, want the results, but they're not willing to do the things, right? And, they're, and that means that they don't do it with their whole heart and they don't persevere through the hard times. This this could actually be with you know okay there's this concept of you don't get extraordinary results from lackluster inputs. Right? So there's this idea that some people think I can get a great result without putting greatness into it. And that just doesn't exist and you see that with things like health and fitness, right? How many times have we heard people say I would love to be in great shape. I would love to lose this weight. I would love to X, Y, and Z, right? Be able to play with my kids and do those kinds of things, All right? You see people ask, say these things, but then if you dig into it, it's like, well, the solution is actually not that much of a secret, right? Like with health and fitness, it's it's, it's activity and it's nutrition, right? If you're, you're doing the right things on the activity side, like building muscle and doing X, Y, and Z, and then you're, eating the right things on this side, then you, you get the results that you're looking for. The, so, so then why doesn't everyone have it? Why is there a massive industry of weight loss drugs and pills and those kind of things and stomach surgeries and all these kind of things, right? A lot of that exists because people want the result without putting in the wholehearted effort that it takes to get the result, right? Which means they probably don't want the result as much as they say. And so what does this mean for us as leaders? If you're going to do something and you want something extraordinary, you need to do it with your whole heart. In order to do it with your whole heart, and that includes business and building wealth and health and fitness and all those things. In order to do it with your whole heart, you need to have a strong conviction about why you're doing it. Otherwise, you won't want to give your whole heart to it and you maybe shouldn't. But if you have a strong conviction about something that it's your duty to do, Right, it's your mission. Then, it is actually your duty to give your whole heart to it, and that doesn't mean sacrifice everything like your family and those kind of things. That's not what it means to give your whole heart to it. It means do something at an excellent level. It means maximize your talents and your gifts and your resources to do that thing, like maximize it. I often talk with my kids, and uh, about about this idea. And they've all been given different talents. We've all been given different talents as human beings, right? Um, I believe that they're gifts from God. I believe not only that they're gifts from God, but they are resources that have been given to you from God that your duty is to leverage and maximize and, for, for his kingdom, right? And that means for your family, for yourself, for the people around you, for whatever else he has you do, right? But everyone's been given different ones. And so we talk about the idea like, if you're gonna do something, a lot of kids, my kids play soccer, like if you're gonna do that, it's not okay to like, decide right now if you're gonna do it, because if you want to do it, we need to give your whole heart to it. Like You need to do it at an excellent level, right? It doesn't help you or anybody else if you do something half-heartedly, right? It doesn't help the people around you, certainly not the people you lead, If you lead them half-heartedly, especially if other people are giving their lives to this thing, you need to lead them wholeheartedly, right? Like that's important. And by leading them wholeheartedly, you have to get excellent at things and develop skills and find your skills and figure out what skills you need to expand, right? And so I talk with my kids about this all the time because if we're going to do something, right, let's pick pick the things that that, uh, leverage your gifts and your talents, let's figure out how to develop them and let's do them with our whole heart. Like, and when you commit to something, you commit to it and you stick to it, right? That is so important because giving up and half-heartedness leads to failure all the time. In fact, if you're not going to give your whole heart to something, don't give any of it to it because if you give half of it, it's going to get wasted. It's a bad investment, right? It's like, you know, it's like like investing in a new business and then not developing that business. It's going to die, right? So I think we see here the result of half-heartedness. I think that is kind of what I see here. And I think the other side of that is perseverance, right? I meet a lot of people that have so much talent that they haven't always had to persevere. They've gotten some things easily. But the, the problem with that is, is if you, you can only rely on that for a certain amount, right? For a certain point, to a certain point. And then to get really, really great, you need, there are going to be challenges that you're going to have to persevere through. That's like a mental muscle that has to be developed no matter what talent you have. How many people um, in sports we see that are so talented and they're not champions, right? Because the champion aspect comes from a mental muscle of perseverance. And it's not just talent, right? And sometimes, sometimes too much talent can lead to getting things seemingly very easy at the beginning, right? And that might lead to a lack of discipline, a lack of perseverance, maybe even a laziness. And that is so dangerous because if you have talent you don't have perseverance, that talent's going to get wasted because when challenges come, you're not going to be able to, you're just going to give up. You're not going to be able to leverage that. And I believe our duty is to maximize what you've been given, right? Do something amazing and great with it. That is the purpose of it, right? And you should enjoy it as well. And so I think we see a lack of perseverance and what does that lead to? A lack of perseverance a lack of wholeheartedness leads to failure. Eventually, this uh, he was he was uh, beaten by the Syrians, and all kinds of other things happened. In our world, like you're going to fail at what you do if you don't give your whole heart to it, right? But maybe what you're doing shouldn't have your whole heart in it. We don't know unless you dig deeper into the conviction around what you're supposed to be doing. That takes. Pursuing it that takes waiting on it that takes looking for it. You got to have that burn in your belly. But man, when you find it, you got to give your whole heart to it. That doesn't mean sacrifice everything, right? Certainly doesn't mean sacrifice your family and be a bad father, a bad husband, those kind of things. Like it just means give your whole heart to it. Like do it at an excellent level. Like prepare yourself, practice. Get better, like train like a pro athlete for the thing that you've been called to. That's what I believe is important. I think to me, that's one of the things that I get out of this little story about a a little King who um, probably was only talked about to illustrate this point, which is not a great legacy, but it's helpful to us. So. Listen, I hope this helps you, I hope this helps you live a high performance, a more ambitious more successful and a more kingdom focused life. For more info on the business Devo, you can go to bizdevo.com. You can get them in your inbox, get them texted to you. If you can go and drop some feedback, you can do that there as well. It's B-I-Z-D-E-V-O.com. And also for more info on me, you can go to kenott.com, that's K-E-N-O-T-T.com. So thanks and until next time, never stop growing.